Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity Session 6, Lack of Men and Mentors Wound. The speaker is Bill Howard. So guys, we're going to cover this morning uh, the disconnected from other men and mentors wound. And this wound, just like the overly bonded with mother and the absent father, uh, has an impact on our life. And this isn't necessarily as a result of mother and father. This is sort of a separate wound, but it uh, nonetheless can leave a man uh, with some serious setbacks if he is living life alone. Okay? So session six, I think we're on page nine. And a definition of this wound this morning, here's what it is. The overly, or the disconnected from men and mentors wound. We're going to cover really kind of two sessions this morning. One is we need men in our lives, and the other is uh, it's great to have a mentor. So it's having guys that are sort of with you as a friend, and then maybe somebody that's older than you looking over you. Okay? So point, eight, or point one, a definition of this wound is a social, emotional, or spiritual deficit. It's a social, emotional, or spiritual deficit inflicted by the lack of healthy male companionship that results in three things. Results in foolish action, number one. Number two, serious setbacks. Foolish action, serious setbacks. And number three, it results in short-sighted masculinity. Short-sighted masculinity. I'll make a comment about these. Okay? Foolish action, serious setback, short-sighted masculinity. So here's the deal, guys. If, uh, if, if you're going through life, as a man goes through life, and he doesn't have friends, is like living life and never seeing yourself in the mirror. Okay? I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, you know, you're going through puberty, and the hormones start firing through your body, and if you remember, uh, it can cause a serious outbreak on your face with various zits. And I remember one particular day, uh, I went through the day, woke up, went to school, went through the day. You know, when you're at that age, you're kind of concerned about what you look like, and more importantly, you're concerned about what others think about what you look like. And so I remember there was one girl named Linda Farringer, and I like Linda. She was real pretty, and, and um, that day I encountered a, a discussion with her in the hall, and I remember she was just kind of staring at me. And I thought to myself, she really likes me. Until I got home later that afternoon, and I looked in the mirror, and right there in my forehead was this zit that looked like Cyclops ready to explode. It was awful. And I, th I thought to myself, that's what she was looking at, <laughs> right? In other words, sometimes as men, we can develop character zits, so to speak. And we can go through life and we may have it and everybody sees it, in fact, there may be things about us that gross people out. Selfishness, self-centeredness, a way of treating other people. And, and everybody sees it but the guy. You, you know what I'm talking about? 
We probably all have people in our life, perhaps. Hopefully it's not us. But we all kind of say, man, you know Dave, wow, he's got some of these things. And everybody goes, yeah, you don't want to talk like that, but everybody kind of knows, but Dave. Does that make sense? I'm talking about you particularly, Dave. Yeah. But that's the idea, guys. And so what can happen is a man can move through life and have issues, character issues, that could really be detrimental and seriously set him back. That could lead him in to doing crazy dumb things. I know guys who get into their 30s and they get very restless and they begin to think about, well, why am I on the planet? What am I supposed to do? And maybe they're in a company and they decide, well, I don't want to be in this company anymore. Or if I am in this company, I want to create my own company. I'm going to compete with this company. And I know guys who decide things about their life in the vacuum of their own soul. And they'll make decisions and all of a sudden, uh, in their youth, the decision they made seriously could affect their future with maybe a company or a, an employer or a friend or even a marriage where people say, you know, I don't like my wife anymore. And I, but nobody knows the guy is not doing well in marriage. And so all of a sudden, the next thing you hear, he's filing for, and you're going, what? Do you realize this decision, what it's going to cost you? Do you realize that? And see, without friends, guys will go ahead with things that they decide alone that could really result in foolish action and seriously set them back in life. Does that make sense, guys? That's the idea. And it's a wound that men face. So, point number two here, every man ultimately will benefit from the company of other men. Uh, all of us at times have guys pulling at us. We have other people pulling on us. And even sometimes people pulling against us. But here's the question we have to answer, men. And that is, who's pulling for you? Who in your life is helping the load that you are bearing to become lighter and not heavier? Who in your life have you given access to the highway of your heart? Who in your life could you go to when the war gets raging and you can jump into the bunker at least with one other guy and go, I'll tell you what, I'm scared to death. I'm not sure what to do. Do you have a guy like that? Because if not, I'm telling you, men, you're creating in your life a scenario where you could begin to move through life and start doing things and making decisions that could seriously set you back. Simply because you don't have anybody else giving you feedback. Which, which is where we get wisdom. By the way, the Bible says there's much, there's much wisdom with many counselors. You got to have other guys that say, what do you think about this? Here's what I'm thinking. I'm having some struggle with parent. Can you, what do you do with your kid? In other words, help me figure life out. And one of the things that I've realized about my life is that I've never lived today. I've never lived tomorrow. And you know what? I don't know how to do it. I've never done it. 
And so I need help. And so there's a part where God is available, but God sometimes uses fingers and they're called his people. Other guys that God wants to use and the Bible's full of stories of men helping men when one guy can't do it any longer. Remember, there was a story of Moses when they were fighting in a particular battle. And as long as he had his arms up, they would win the battle. But when he put his arms down, they would lose. And so finally, you know, you can only keep your arms up so long until you get exhausted. And Jethro, his father-in-law, another guy named Ur, Ur, comes along and one on each side holds up his arms. Because sometimes, guys, it's a great picture that our life gets heavy and I can't keep my arms up anymore. This, this marriage thing, this parenting thing, this financial burden, this job I'm in, wow. And sometimes guys get so much uh, in a sense of pain, they just, oh, I gotta get it. Boom, they make a decision and then, wow. I remember Terry Bowden, who's a coach of Auburn University. And uh, he, the first year he got in there, I think they went undefeated. And they had, uh, the next season, I think they lost maybe one game or so. And he was riding high, but he began to have conflict with one of the board of directors for the university. And his egos started clashing with egos. All of a sudden, Terry Bowden decides, yeah, I'm out of here. As though somehow the world was going to miss him. And you know what? Have you heard of Terry Bowden since then? <laughs> Stupid decision. He, I was reading an article we talked about, it was a stupid thing to do. Because in his own arrogance and pride, he made a decision in his mid-30s just because of he, who he thought he was without anybody else telling him, you know what? It's probably not the thing to do. And do you realize if you do that now, that this could affect your future? And so men need men to not just... Uh, pull at us on us or against us more importantly to pull for us now guys listen when we were younger remember it being in high school or college uh, we had male cheerleaders and who were they it wasn't some guy wearing a little short dress jumping around for you but it was your buddies wasn't it maybe you had a fraternity maybe you're on a sports team maybe you just had your friends in college and, you know, those are the guys you called. Hey, what are you going to do tonight? What are you doing on this study? You know, how are you going to resolve this problem? And you, you just had those guys, and maybe you're on an intramural team, and you, uh, one guy throws a pass, you catch it, you score a touchdown. What do guys do? They run up. You know, now they got this chest thing. You know, if you watch guys, boom, they chest each other. Or they... High five each other. Man, guys run off the field. And some other guy hits you right on the butt. I don't think that, that probably kind of strange if you walk out of the office today and some guy goes, good job. <laughs> but it, on the other hand, you kind of go, God, I miss that. I just miss the camaraderie. Because what happens, guys, when guys get out of that companion mode of life. And that's why guys oftentimes run back to college because that's when they felt most alive. 
Also, when you get out into the, quote, the real world, all of a sudden now you're kind of start holding your cards close to the deck because you realize, to the vest, because you realize there's other guys that if they peek in there, they might try to pull one over on you. So you can go, I'm not going to let anybody know I have a weakness. I'm not going to let anybody know I've got some vice. I'm not going to let somebody know about what I'm thinking because if I do, it may give the appearance I'm not sure what I'm doing. So guys just start burying their head and they get sucked under by the current of career and life and they just start living life on a solo voyage. And it's unfortunate, but it happens oftentimes. And so what we need is we need other guys to kind of high five us today to be able to cheer us on and for us to cheer other guys on. You know, there's a... Uh, a book that was written called The Friendless American Male. And in this particular book, uh, the guy talks about men have basically two relationships. And they have a relationship with their work and they have a relationship with their woman, whoever that may be. And it's where in those two relationships, work and woman, it's where a man gets his identity. It's where a man has, those are the, basically the only two voices in his life that's telling him if he's okay. Now, if work is not going well, it tends to affect the woman, his, his wife. If the wife is not going well, it tends to affect his work. If both aren't going well, that guy is not a happy camper. He's hurting, I guarantee you. And if he is not, if he's living life without friends, I'm telling you, sometimes you've got friends. I've got a friend of mine who was in real estate and the market began to crash. He had four kids and a wife and he seemed to have everything going for him on the outside. And the next thing I know, he literally is pulling his car out, uh, opens the car door, apparently grabs his coat jacket and runs off to the third story of a parking garage to his death. Nobody knew. But he was having this internal struggle, these anxiety attacks to the point where he was all alone and he just freaked out. And so guys, we gotta have friends. I remember visiting a guy one time who, he was a real estate, or an investment broker. He worked for Merrill Lynch, stockbroker. And apparently he was the number one guy in the country, he lived in Boise, Idaho. He had over a million dollar a year salary from Merrill Lynch. I remember walking into his office and, he, and he, there was two big Rolodexes sitting on his desk, huge Rolodexes, just before all the digital technology. And he, I remember he leaned up on his desk and he patted both of these Rolodex, almost like they were his dogs. <laughs> and he goes, he just, this is what he said. I just remember he goes, this is my life. This is my life right here. And he goes, I take care of this. And he was talking, but I could tell something was not right. Two weeks later, 
I get a call from uh, somebody who knew him that he had threatened to kill his wife and children. He had three children. Had a beautiful piece of property out in Boise, Idaho. And uh, somehow he didn't, and his wife called the police, and the police came, and he ran out in his underwear to his barn. They flushed him out of the barn into a corral, and there he was, literally surrounded by a police officer in the corral with a gun, shotgun. Apparently, he fires the gun, and the police fire on him, and, and they killed him. Bizarre. I was just with the guy two weeks before. So in other words, there's a lot going on often in a, in a man's life that if he doesn't have friends, he is not going to tell you. Because we're many times like the proverbial duck on a pond. We look calm and unruffled on the surface. But man, if you can stick your head into that water, you'll see those legs paddling like a dickens. Because there's stuff going on in his life. Ugh, oh, no. But I'm okay. That's why we jokingly say if a guy says at the end of the day, how you doing? And what, what does a man typically say? Which, if you could make it an acrostic, would, could mean freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotionally unstable. <laughs> That's really how I'm doing. That's how I'm feeling at times, right? And it's great. You know, Glenn Wilson has just been an unbelievable friend to me, and hopefully I to him at points. But, you know, sometimes we'll talk, and Glenn will just go, oh, and he'll tell me all about how bad life is for him at times, and at times how good it is. And, you know, sometimes I listen, and, oh, man, yeah, man, I just, I know how you feel. And same with me. I'll, I saw him the other day, and I was... He'd go, how you doing? I'm going, I'm not doing good. And I just, oh, I was just frustrated. And, and you know, <laughs> I told him, I said, Glenn, there's been many times you've said this to me. We just kind of had this moment of, yeah. And it just, it just felt like sometimes, you know, life gets to be like a balloon that gets filled up too high. And if you got a friend you can just talk to, it's like lets the air out of the balloon. It may not change anything, but it's just all of a sudden, wow. At least somebody else knows how I'm doing. And so, guys, we need these friends. So, this friendless American male, if we're not careful, uh, can only find life from these two areas. And if he doesn't have another person in his life, then we find ourselves connected to many people through cell phones and emails and internet and our work. And we may be connected to many, but really, truly connected to no one. And that's a very lonely place to be. And so we can relate to guys on the surface, but we need, what we're talking about here, guys, is having somebody that you can relate to on the interior. And that's probably only going to be one and maybe two guys. There's not going to be a lot, but maybe one or two, okay? Okay. So what happens if a guy doesn't have friends? What's the downside? Well, unfortunately, there is a downside. And then we're going to give you four significant downsides to isolation if a man finds himself there. And usually, guys, it happens around his late 20s. It can happen earlier than that. But oftentimes it happens in his late 20s because when men start having kids... 
what you'll discover is he's not going to have the time he used to when he didn't have kids. Because, you know, some of you guys are younger right now and you've got your friends and you can go golfing and hunting and fishing or whatever because you don't have kids. Now, you got your wife, but she's got her friends and you probably still have some freedom to decide your schedule. But let me tell you, you start having kids. If you're spending every weekend on the golf course and you've got a three and a four-year-old, uh, I would just tell you as a mentor, something's not right there. Now, that may be fun, but now you've got some other responsibilities born upon you and other people need you. And all of a sudden you have, you see, you got all of a sudden other things pulling at you. And guys can start drifting in. Now, you still need those times uh, with other guys because I know for me, when I get time with my friends, it fuels me. Um, my wife, uh, by the way, if you don't have another friend, I'll just tell you this right now, if you're married, you're hurting your wife. If you don't have one other guy in your life, you're scaring your wife to death. Because there may be things about you, and I'm not talking about just another guy. Now, you might have another guy in your life, and, and that guy scares your wife to death. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about having a friend that's a noble man. Uh, there are guys in my life that if I tell my wife, hey, listen, I'm going to go spend time with Glenn or Dave or John. My, my wife would go, great, go do it, please. <laughs> right? But if I say, hey, listen, I'm going, and it's not a noble man, she's going, you're, you're doing what? With who? When? Where are you going? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So you got to have some noble men in your life that your wife can all of a sudden realize there's some other guys that knows what she knows. And it'll create for her a sense of security and respect for you. But if you don't have any other guys, she'll also see that. Because women are much more relational. They're much better at this than we are. But she'll see that if you're relationally disconnected, it's going to start creating a concern for her. She probably wouldn't know what to say about it. She's not even sure how to approach it. She just will see it. Okay? So here's a significant downside to isolation. Number one is there'll be the loss or no challenge to life. All of a sudden, life becomes drudgery, kind of boring. And what happens if there's not this other group of men, we can develop a warped perspective on life, meaning that we begin to see life through one set of lens, and that's my lens. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse, guys, than a man seeing life that way, where he can develop uh, an insensitivity, a pride, and an arrogance to others, and he totally does not have the ability to see it in himself. See, that's the character stuff. Some of you probably have employers or maybe a fellow employee and there's things about him. He just seems so driven to succeed and maybe he does it at almost any cost. And unfortunately, guys, what happens in corporations in America is we make those men the star of the company. Why? Because they're making the most money for the company. It doesn't matter how he's doing it as long as he's doing it. 
And here you are sitting next to this guy at an office or an employment situation. And you're going, God, this guy's driving me crazy. I, I see everybody giving him the accolades, but there's something about the way he's doing it. It's not right. And so it's, it's, it's a place, guys, where that guy is a guy who's living life, see, without other people peering in or at least creating the sense of humility to let other people peer into his life to say, listen, do you see anything in me that's going to hurt me? You know, the Bible says, men, that you know what's more honorable than gold? The Bible says. Anybody know? It's a good name. A good name is more honorable than fine gold. And listen, your name, you only got one of them. And once you take a divot out of life with somebody somewhere because of your own arrogance and pride and insensitivity, that name all of a sudden let me tell you, sometimes guys will never recover. Now, God can forgive and God can restore, but people aren't nearly as forgiving as God. Right? So that name you've got, you only got one of them. And if you don't have other friends, you're jeopardizing the one thing you've got that's incredibly important, and that's a good name. But if you destroy it by something stupid because... You're living life in the own vacuum of your soul. Uh, it's a sad thing because we can be affected by that, obviously. So guys, the key, the, the key to real freedom for a man is to come to a place where you realize your own flaws. That's the key to real freedom. Where you can admit, you know, I can't do this very well. I'm not that great at that. But I'll tell you what I am learning that I'm really good at. You can still work on improving the weaknesses you have. But the key to real freedom is coming to a place to discover what it is that you're really good at. Then you start doing that. I've discovered in my life that the men who have the greatest impact that can speak the clearest are the guys that know why they're on the planet. But they're also the guys who are also willing to admit what it is that they're not on the planet for. I know guys in Music Row here who they came to Nashville to sing. And if you ever hear sometimes these guys who think they can sing, sing, and you go, you know what, you probably need to not come to Nashville anymore. <laughs> but they think, and they jeopardize their family to literally pursue something that quite honestly, if they just looked in the mirror and had some other friends who would be willing to say, hey, listen, what do you think about me? You know what? I think you need to seek employment elsewhere. <laughs> right? Because listen, a good friend, the Bible says uh, the wound of a friend is better than the kiss of an enemy. The wound of a friend is better than a kiss of an enemy. See, a good friend may say something that's true. It just may hurt because it's true. And now you've got to adjust your life with the truth Sometimes of the words of a friend. But he'll save you from foolishness if you've got those guys in your life. And so the second downside to isolation, guys, is loose living. Number two, loose living. And that is, uh, 
If you don't have friends, you live life without accountability. And how are you when you're alone? What do you do when you're alone? What is your life like when you're alone? You know, I've seemed to notice that as a guy gets older, if a guy, quote, reaches the top, that oftentimes a guy now has the resources and the ability to do things that otherwise when he was younger, he didn't. And now he may start doing things that if he were younger and knew what other guys were doing that now he's doing as an older guy, he would have probably have said to that, oh, you know, you ought not to be doing that, but here he's doing the very same thing. See, if you don't have friends, you find that there's a sense where you can have loose living. Thirdly, there is a sense of no cheerleaders. No cheerleaders. And that is that, uh, again, there's a loss of motivation without guys cheering you on. There's a loss of motivation now as an, a man who's growing older to keep pursuing the nobler things of life. Like consistently staying in the Bible. Loving a woman sometimes when she's unlovable. Creating boundaries and instruction. Learning how to lovingly discipline your children. And so on. And so when you've got guys now, you see... We're not going to probably chest bump much today. But when you do something with your wife, when otherwise maybe she's not deserving of it, but you do something that's amazing, it's great to have some other guys who look at you and go, you did what? That's, that's incredible. Awesome. See, the nobler things, the eternal things, the things really that life matters about. And so it's great to have those guys that can cheer you on and share some life with you. It's always fun, you know, if you're around your friends, oftentimes maybe a guy gets a car and you go, man, what, you gotta, what, tell me about that car. And the guy will sit there and start talking about the car and what the car does and the engine of the car. And, and you listen and, and that, you're just sharing. And all of a sudden that guy goes, God, it's just great to be able to show what I have to somebody else, whatever it may be. You see, you got to have guys to kind of cheer you on and encourage you. Because if not, you kind of go, oh, it's just a car. Which it is just a car, but it's just kind of fun to have somebody else. You go, that's incredible. That's awesome. Whatever it may be. Okay? And then fourthly, guys, uh, there's, a there's no intimacy, which is a loss of transparency. And unfortunately, many men develop this lonely ache. And the ache is that I'm alone. And he feels it. There's nobody I can tell my story to that will understand or perhaps even care. Nobody really cares. And so, guys, it's important to have those guys. Mark Twain said, all men are like the moon. We have a dark side. And sometimes it's nice to have the light shine on the dark side. And the way to do that is to hand a flashlight to a friend when you say, hey, listen, I can tell you about some things in my life that's going on. I got to tell you about some addictive behavior that I'm moving into with pornography or the internet or a girl I'm working with or some things I'm doing with my money that maybe it's not going to be good for me. And you're going to find if you do that, that a guy is not going to 
hit you with a baseball bat and go, you jerk. He's probably going to go, man, I got those same temptations myself. And you'll find a guy that will jump in the bunker with you if you unzip your heart and just be real. And it creates intimacy. But see, without that, there's loss of intimacy. Loss of transparency results in no intimacy. Okay, so what can you do? By the way, the scripture has some cool things to say. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. By the way, you know what happens when iron hits iron? Sparks fly. Uh, which oftentimes if you've got a good friend, there will be some conflict if he's a good friend. Uh, Proverbs 18, 24 said, A man of many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, a man of many friends. That's where the American male is. See, we're connected to many guys, but known by none. See, in the Bible it says a man of many friends. It's not good. But there's a guy who will be closer than a brother. Jonathan in the Bible had David. They loved each other. And this guy would be his defender. See, a good friend will defend you and speak well of you and come to your rescue. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 8, 9 says, uh, Two are better than one. They have a better return for their labor. For if one of them falls, the other is there to lift him up. And then Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider reason with how we can stimulate. The word stimulate, by the way, guys, is the Greek word paroxymos. Let us consider how to paroxymos one another. And the word paroxymos literally means to irritate. It's like hydrogen peroxide. You know, you pour that on a wound and these bubbles start coming up. That's a good friend. Consider how to paroxymos your friends. It's not going around being a junior Holy Spirit in your friend's life. But it is a sense of being a guy who will speak the truth. Okay, so what can you do? Here's what we can do, guys. Uh, reach out. Let me give you three or four things here. Number one, reach out to other men. Just reach out. A lot of us think most men are too busy. The truth is, most men are in waiting. That's the truth. For some other guy. That's the truth. And so, go pick a guy. Go get somebody. So secondly, challenge a guy at a different level. Um, again, Jonathan had David. It'll be a relief to find a friend that you can start being real with and open up your heart to. So reach out to other guys, which means you got to pick up the phone and call a guy and just take a guy out to lunch. Buy his lunch. Just get to know him. Check him out. You know, you may have lunch with a guy and go, you know, I love that guy, but I don't know. I, don't, I just don't feel comfortable. Maybe you get another guy and all of a sudden you just connect. Again, I remember uh, I was in here in Nashville and I'd been here maybe three, four years or so, and uh, just there was a lot of life going on uh, trying to minister to other guys. While m myself felt, you know, I, I don't really have a good friend. And I remember I sat down with Glenn Wilson one day at a lunch, uh, where the, the place is torn down now, I think. And uh, we started talking, and 
You know, I hopefully try to live my life with passion. I mean, I love Christ and I love guys and I want guys to make a difference in their life because I know how it feels to be a guy who is not. And so um, I remember sitting down with Glenn and we started talking and, and I saw this guy who has this amazing passion. And uh, he was real. He wasn't perfect. He's just real. And I just love that. And so we connected. And, uh, you know, just to find a guy. So sometimes, guys, you got to bump around and get to know guys. And, and in your mind, think about, could I share my heart with this guy? Okay. Uh, challenge you got a different level, number two. Number three, uh, whoever you pick, don't pick someone just to, quote, be accountable to and study the Bible. I'm not against either of those things. But I know guys that are in, quote, accountability to study the Bible that still jump off the deep end because they're truly not intimate. They're just legalistic. They're just doing legal things, trying to check off something they think is right. I'm talking about being real, guys. And so, fourthly here, when you do get together with a guy, just be real and share your heart. Here's a great question to ask a friend. Do you see anything in me that you think could cause me to trip up in life later on? Do you see anything in my marriage? Do you see anything in the way I relate to my children? Do you see anything in the way that I'm handling money? Do you see anything in me and you know, you got to have a guy that you can trust. But if, if you change the table and say, listen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm asking you to reflect back to me who I am. Because you know what? Sometimes I can't see myself or who I am. You see, a good friend will be that mirror to you. Okay? All right. Well, that's if you need a friend. Second thing, guys, that we're wounded in is that every man uh, benefits by the company of a mentor. And so a mentor is really, you know, you have a boy who's born and he, he's connected to mom till about 10, 11, 12, and then he goes from mom to dad. That's, this is a good natural flow. Unfortunately, it's like we talked about, sometimes boys never leave mom. Still bonded with mom, even at 40 years old. But uh, the, the natural process should be birth to mom, mom to dad, from dad to who? And that's where mentors come in. Other men who will come alongside that can speak things into your life. If you have a son, you'll realize this. You'll be very thankful for other men who can come into your son's life and all of a sudden give them things perhaps that you could never give them. And it's not that maybe you couldn't. It's just that they don't have ears to hear from you. And so that's where mentors come in. And mentor, a mentor is a specialist. By the way, the term mentor comes from Homer's Odyssey. That's where the term comes from. And mentor was a guy who was a specialist. He had a, a, an admiration for a younger man. And this younger man found this mentor to be a guy who could empower him, could resource him, could help him de develop confidence, Wisdom and skills, both in work and living. And that's what a mentor is. Some guy who's basically been there, done that. Uh, and by the way, mentors don't have to be perfect men. 
They just have to be experienced men. And every guy who's older ought to be mentoring somebody younger. Because you've done something, whether it's right or wrong, at least you can give some encouragement to those who are under you in terms of age. And so this uh, mentoring, guys, the char- every man benefits from the company, the characteristics of a mentor. Number one, a mentor is one who supports you rather than competes with you. Okay, he supports you rather than competes with you. I recall I was uh, about 30 years old, transitioning, uh, just gotten out of seminary. I was currently, I came back to a ministry where I didn't feel that's where I needed to be anymore, and I was feeling very restless. I was feeling very insecure, and I was in a, a place where other guys seemed to be doing better and enjoying what they were doing, but I wasn't. Um, the way I would describe it is uh, sometimes, you ever seen those sugar containers on the uh, table of a restaurant? You got little pink containers and, you know, artificial sugar, pink and blue and whatever color. Well, I remember I felt like at this place I was at, there was about 300 other people that worked in this particular ministry. And I felt like I was a blue guy with a bunch of pink guys. Because everybody was so into this one thing that we were about, which I was into too, but there was something else I felt more interested in. And the ministry I was in had to do with families, but I really wanted to go reach guys because I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was 20. So, and I didn't grow up in church. And so I didn't feel comfortable around churched people. I mean, I liked them and it was very safe. But I felt more comfortable just around guys in the marketplace, guys trying to figure out life. Guys just like me who couldn't figure it out. Guys who didn't have a relationship with Christ. Who I knew, I could understand those guys. I know what those guys are thinking. Because that was me. That's where I felt comfortable. And so I was kind of going, what am I going to do? And I felt very insecure. Almost like, nobody feels the same passion about some of the things I feel like me. And I had this guy, he was an older man, his name is Bill Wellens. And Bill Wellens, uh, that's a great sound, man. Bill Wellens was an older guy, and he, um, I asked him, I said, would you kind of help me? And I remember he looked at me and he goes, absolutely. And he goes, it'd be a privilege. So we sat down and we had lunch, and we started having lunch once a week. And he then said, I'll tell you what I want you to do, Howard. I want you to write me five stories about yourself and five paragraphs. And I want you to describe in this paragraph as succinctly as you can something you did. And I want you to give as much detail as possible in this paragraph. Something you did and what was it about what you did that you enjoyed. And so I came up with five paragraphs. And uh, he then took those paragraphs and he sort of observed those writings. And one of the things I did was, um, I remember one of the things I did is I fixed an, a motor uh, with my father. It was a boat motor. And I fixed it, I took it apart, put it back together, and it didn't work. And after I did it, it worked. And I'm, I did some other things. But they all had, kind of had to do with taking something dirty, broken, not working, and 
making it right again. And so that guy sat down with me and we began to iron out who I was and really what my passion was. And I discovered that what I was passionate about was fixing broken things. Sounds crazy. My wife tells me, honey, this isn't working. Part of me goes, ah, dang it. But there's another part of me that goes, I can't wait to go figure out what's wrong and try to make it work. I may not make it work, but I love the challenge of trying to say something's not working and getting it working. I don't know. It's just me. Like that, I could wake up doing that. And so, but I'm just telling you that, guys. I could speak more clearly on it. We'll do it a little bit later on. But here's the point. I had a guy in my life who was older helping me work through it. And I remember at one point after a lunch, he drops me off. I get out of his car. I'm walking to my office and I'm just feeling sort of empty. Like, I don't know if I'm good at anything. I remember I was getting ready to open the door to my office and he rolls down the window of his car and he yells out. He goes, Howard! And I turn around. I remember he looked at me. Just the way he could do it. He said, I want you to know something. I said, yeah. And he goes, you're a fabulous young man. God. I tell you guys, I walked in. I closed that door and I walked into my house. And I I went to the exit hallway going up and I started crying. And that's how I was feeling. That's That's how empty I felt. And yet to have one other man speak into my life who believed in me when I couldn't even believe myself. That's what a mentor does. Okay. Secondly, he's primarily a cheerleader and not a critic. The cheerleader. Uh, The guy that used to run this ministry, a guy named Dennis Rainey, as the president of Family Life, and I used to work with them. And at one point, I would travel around the country for this ministry, and I'd speak, and I'd go to these small groups and uh, around the country, and I'd promote conferences that we were going to bring in called a Weekend to Remember Conference to a city. We might have 1,000, 1,500. If one city, we had 3,400 people come and spend a weekend. And that was my job, getting people in a ballroom seat to spend a weekend to learn about marriage from God's point of view. That's what I did as a single guy. That's what I did in my 20s. And I'd go to these meetings. There might be as many people like this in a meeting, and we'd kind of rally people up, and I'd come in, and I'd kind of motivate guys and share and at this one meeting down in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, uh, G. Gordon Liddy. You guys ever heard of G. Gordon Liddy? G. Gordon Liddy's sitting right there, okay, right there in the meeting. And I'm sharing, and I'm 25 years old, sharing with, to a bunch of people who are married. And I want to motivate them on getting involved and helping married people in Phoenix, Arizona find out what maybe God would have to say so they can encourage them. But I wouldn't encourage them at all. And in fact, I so discouraged them because they started talking about the effects of divorce and what happens with kids when parents aren't there. And people started crying. I'm thinking to myself, they're crying because they're motivated. They're, they're crying because they hate my guts. <laughs> There's G. Gordon Liddy right there. And I remember kind of thinking, yeah, you know, I think this was good. I remember the guy that organized the meeting came up to me and he goes, he was so mad at me. And he said, the guy that was organizing all of these people said, I'm quitting after that. I'm quitting. <laughs> Everything I came to do, I didn't do it. Totally shot an airball. 
I'm telling you, when you're 25 and you realize you do that, you talk about taking the air out of your balloon, the wind out of your sails, right? Wow, I mean, I just felt like such a loser. And I came back and I walked into this office and it was about 7 o'clock in the evening and Dennis was still there. Dennis is a mentor of mine. still is. He performed our wedding ceremony. And I walked in, and you'd have to know Dennis. He's a pretty powerful guy. And I walked in, he looked at me, and he goes, Howard, he said, man, he looks like he got hit with a bat. What, what, what's going on? And I told him the story. God, I can remember. I almost get emotional every time I tell this story. But he said, hey, listen, hold on just a second. You stay right there. He went in, closed his office door. I hear him get on the phone to this guy named Carl who reamed me a new one. And then I heard him defending me and saying some things about me on what God was going to do in my life and how the way he approached me, he said, listen, there's going to be much more impact occurring with this one man than the people in that room. I, I just remember here. I'm telling you guys, as, as low as I felt, all of a sudden this one guy said, you can do it, and I believe in you. I went off to seminary, and while I was there, I'd been married for two years. This guy, Dennis, who uh, calls me and said, uh, Barbara and I, his wife, we want to ask you to speak around the country on marriage. I was married two years. I've been speaking for 20 years uh, on marriage. Um, not because I think I have something to say, but because I had an older man who said, you can do it. I'll guarantee you, I wouldn't be here right now talking. Because I didn't speak for another four years after that, by the way, until he said, I want you to speak. That's the power of a mentor, right? Who can literally alter your life because he'll see something in you that you may not see in yourself. Thirdly, he's one who seeks to encourage the development of your gifts and looks to protect you from costly mistakes. Had another guy named Steve Farrar. All, all this is about in my 20s. I was dating a girl. I liked a girl. Wanted to marry this girl. Steve Farrar was a guy who met with me for uh, once a week for three years. And um, I was in a small group with him. And as I was dating this girl, I remember really excited for him to meet this girl. He meets this girl. The next week we get together for lunch. He looks at me. And you have to know, Steve, by the way, is a, he speaks at Promise Keepers. He's written Point Man, Standing Tall. Uh, he's man's. He's like 6'4". His brother played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, I remember Farrar looks over the table and he goes, Howard, listen, girl's really pretty. You know, Renee's really pretty. But I'll tell you what, there's three reasons why you can't marry her. Really? <laughs> Number one, she doesn't love God with the same passion you do. Number two, she's not heading in the same direction spiritually following God as you are. Number three, she's way too familiar with men. What? And you know, I, I remember it offended me to some degree. And uh, but you know what? He was right. I ended up asking a girl to marry me, but all of a sudden, the day I asked her to marry me, even against his counsel, I remember waking up uh, on the floor in my apartment, in my underwear, sprawled out, going, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> and I... Then two weeks later, got the courage and went back to this girl and said, I can't do it. And there was things that began to unfold about her life she was unwilling to share with me. That was not a good thing. 
And if I married her, I would have loved her as best I could. But, you know, guys, when you're single, you make a decision. The person you marry, you're going to get everything else that comes with them. And I had a decision in my life. I was moving in a direction with God to accomplish something on the earth. And the mate I joined my master with his mission was very important. And I realized she was not the one. And uh, I've since called Steve and I said, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me from making a wrong decision. Thirdly, fourthly, he's a guy who admires and delights in you. Because he distinctly recognizes your value and untapped potential. Okay? So, there's a book called Iron Sharpens Iron, Howard Hendricks. Um, here's ten things that a guy can do to help you. Ten characteristics of a mentor. Number one, he clearly has something you personally need. In other words, here's how you pick a guy. First of all, he clearly has something you personally need. Maybe it's in your career, or your work, or marriage, or family. It's just something about him. You go, that guy has got something I need. Secondly, he chooses to personally have a relationship with you. In other words, he likes you. He wants to be with you. Thirdly, he's willing to take a chance on you. Fourth, he's respected by other Christian men. Marked by character, not just knowledge. I remember, uh, guys, you remember when you're younger, how coaches have such a powerful impact in your life? I remember uh, there was a coach I had when I was a junior or sophomore in high school, I guess, sophomore. And uh, I, was, I made the varsity basketball team, and we were playing in the district tournament. We were playing a team called Soda Springs. Their front line averaged 6'6". Six, six. Our front line was 6'1". Totally outmanned. Uh, not expected to win the game. Their two guards were 6'3 and 6'4". I'm 5'9". Anyway, uh, we're playing the game. Fourth quarter, we're behind by nine points. Remember my coach? We go huddle, and we all huddle. He's giving us a play, and all of a sudden, we go, ready, break. And there's about four minutes to play in the game. We're behind by nine points. And I'm getting ready, to, and my coach grabs the back of my shorts and pulls me back. And he pulls, puts his arm around me. He goes, I don't know why he did this. But he puts his arm around me. He goes, Howard, I want you to steal the ball and score. That's all he said. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what it was, but it was, set, it was kind of intense at the time. I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, so what happens is, is that I stole the ball and I scored. And uh, we rallied. And uh, I, I, can't, I think I scored 12 points in those four minutes. And we're 10 seconds to play, guys. Um... We got the ball, we're about down by one, 10 seconds. I'm, I'm the shooting guard, I'm on the side, and the ball's coming around the perimeter. And I'm just, I'm just hot. If you ever played sports and you get into that zone, it's, it's fun to be there. Doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's sure fun. Anyway, the ball's coming around, and I'm going, if this ball, I'm shooting it. And so the ball comes around, I go, boom, up. Boom, nothing but net. It's one of those moments. Wow, everybody goes crazy. We're up by one. They call a timeout, which they don't have. They get a technical. I shoot two more free throws. We win by three. Okay, just a moment in my life. But here's the deal. This is what's so crazy. I'm telling you the story, not to brag about any accomplishment I had, but to, to brag about a coach who's a mentor. Because here's the deal. 
What mentors do is get you to do things otherwise you might not ever do yourself. Here's the picture, guys. That's, that's the shot. <laughs> Ten seconds to play. <laughs> there it is. Forever ingrained in the Blackfoot newspaper in Idaho. And the whole article, listen to this. Three fourth period steals a 10-foot jumper and two clutch free throws by Aberdeen's Bill Howard lifted the underdog Tigers to an emotional 60-57 come-from-behind victory over Soda Springs. And it has the picture of me shooting the shot. But here's what I want to show you. Between me, that's me in the white, the guy in the black, between me and that guy is my coach. And he's standing there watching the shot. I just love the picture because the reason the shot goes up is because of the coach. You see that? And that's what a mentor will do. He'll give you courage to do something bigger than yourself, to trust God, to go for it. When you feel like you can't, that's what mentors will do. And if you don't have them, guys, you're just missing out. Um, he has a network of resources you can draw from. He's consulted by others naturally. He talks to you and listens to you. He is consistent in his lifestyle. He's able to diagnose your real needs. And 10, he is concerned with your interests. Not just his, but yours. And four, the impact of mentoring. He is concerned with your interest. Six, he is consulted by others naturally. Okay? So what's the impact of mentoring? Well, on the mentor, guys, if you're an older guy here, you need to be mentoring. And if you got guys in your life, here's the impact of a mentor. Mentoring closes, helps close the loop cycle of a man's life. Helps close the loop of a man's life cycle. Secondly, Mentoring connects the older to the younger, which is always a good thing, and the Bible's full of these things. Thirdly, mentoring allows men to teach from experience, not a perfect life. Anybody can be a mentor. Fourthly, mentoring gives older men a significant purpose in the second half of their life. Did you know that a termite, by the way, these relationship between a mentor and a protege is a symbiotic relationship symbiotic it means this symbiotic means two organisms working together for their mutual benefit and so when older men and younger men are connected it's symbiotic there's a mutual benefit to both and each is gaining something sort of like uh, you know a termite has a microorganism inside of its stomach its gut that helps it digest food if that microorganism didn't live in the gut of a termite, termite couldn't live. Both need each other. Sort of like the, those fish, and you see the big fish, and then you see these things stuck to a, 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 the big fish, these little fish sticking on the side. You ever see that? Well, actually, the, those little fish are cleaning the big fish. And what the big fish does is protect the little fish. And that's sort of mentor-protege. The protege helps keep the older man healthy. But the older man helps protect the younger man from foolishness. Uh, and then the second half. There's a Chinese proverb, guys, that says, uh, if you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. 
If you want to be happy for a day, go fishing. If you want to be happy for a month, get married. <laughs> for those of you who aren't married, you'll, you'll agree with that. <laughs> if you want to be happy for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want to be happy for a lifetime, help somebody else. Because we're actually created for that. It's to give our lives away. We're made for that. So in the protege, the younger man, this provides protection. Number one, it gives purpose in a man's life that goes beyond himself. Secondly, a mentoring relationship helps develop this younger man's gifts and talents. Third, it propels a man to do what he ordinarily might not do in his own. And then fourth, he receives wisdom to go to a higher level. Wisdom to go to a higher level. Number five, this helps a younger man invest his life in eternal values rather than temporal pleasures. So what do you do if you need but lack a mentor? Here's what you do, guys. A, pray for wisdom and guidance. God, listen, I need another man that's older. Secondly, go and ask courageously a guy. Uh, guys, if you got an older man you, you like and respect, go take him out to lunch. Go buy his meal. Go talk to him. Go get to know him. Tell him what's going on. Just tell him. You know, he may go, I, I care about you and I, I'd be willing to help if you want to do that. Uh, by the way, if you do get an older man, here's what you can do. Uh, you be strategic as a younger man and go with that older man. When you're with that guy, come with your questions. If you're going to take him out to lunch, come with four or five questions. And he'll be glad to talk to you about them. Don't come just unscheduled. Okay? Uh, thirdly, don't get discouraged if you're turned down. Get a group of guys and go ask him. And so, guys, if you need an older guy, go get an older guy. Okay? Uh, D, if you spot a younger man you want to spend time with, pursue a mentoring relationship with him. Okay? If you're an older guy, go pursue that. 